You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, March 3rd. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, reformers are calling to change California's system of fines and fees, which chips away at marginal incomes, plunging some families into poverty. Gold mining is a hot topic here, but it's also running into opposition near Death Valley. Along with regional news and weather, a talk with Nevada County Housing Director Mike Dent about the results of the point-in-time population count. And we end with an essay from Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. California's courts, police, and other services are partially funded through fines and fees. But for low-income Californians, those fines and fees could mean a push deeper into poverty. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. Researchers found a link between monetary penalties for offenses and infractions and things like housing instability, mental health stressors, and financial exploitation. Study co-author Brian Sykes, a professor of criminology at UC Irvine, says that with California's projected multi-billion budget surplus, We could fund a number of institutions already without having to become predatory for the, the most impoverished in our state. Why are we doing this? He says that to lessen the racial disparities in who ends up paying these fees, reform efforts should focus not just on the penal code, but all categories of state law. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Switching to housing, California has a new plan to add at least 2.5 million new homes to the state by 2030. KQED's Kate Wolf reports the state plans to require cities to build new housing according to a quota. In order to reach the ambitious goal, the state will have to more than triple the number of units built in an average year. But housing officials are trusting that a spate of new laws will help them supercharge the effort. Those include laws that allow for denser housing and reduce barriers to building. Megan Kirkaby with the Housing and Community Development Department says if local governments don't build enough, the state could sue and punishments could be severe. The court can establish a fine of $10,000 per month or up to $100,000 a month um, for long periods of noncompliance. Anyone can check out the state's new housing plan and monitor its progress online on the state's housing and community development page. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Back in 2020, when then-candidate Joe Biden was debating then-President Donald Trump, he came out strongly against one particular practice, separating migrant families at the border. Parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. So it was a surprise when, in December, news broke that the Biden administration had suddenly dropped out of negotiations to compensate families for the harm they'd suffered. And advocates believe money and politics are to blame. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports. 
Back in October, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Biden administration was in talks to pay up to $450,000 to those harmed by family separation under the Trump administration's so-called zero-tolerance policy. These payments were just one part of negotiations between the administration and the American Civil Liberties Union to settle a long-running class action lawsuit. And according to ACLU attorney Lee Gallant, that number wasn't firm. There was no offer on the table. There was no specific amount on the table. And we were prepared to continue negotiating. But as soon as that figure, 450000 was out in the world, the backlash was swift. This incomprehensibly stupid idea of... That is going to be a slap in the face to every hardworking American... Dozens of House Republicans just sent a letter to three cabinet secretaries behind the reported plan demanding answers. And in December, the Biden administration pulled out of talks to compensate families altogether. The two sides were trying to settle claims filed by parents under the Federal Tort Claims Act, a law that allows people to be compensated if the federal government causes them harm. For example, So the police harm someone and or unlawfully detain them, then the victim is allowed to sue the government. Carol Ann Donahoe is the managing attorney for the Family Reunification Project at Alotrolado, a California-based immigrant rights group. She says the families can clearly argue they were harmed. In some cases, it was physical harm. It's emotional distress because we ripped their children from them. And for parents who've been allowed back into the U.S. to reunite with their children and pursue legal status here, that money could really come in handy. A woman named Sandra sought asylum at the Arizona border in early 2017. She had fled Guatemala with her two children because she didn't trust police to protect her from a violent neighbor. But three days after arriving in the U.S., officials took her kids away, saying the facility she was staying in couldn't support them. Sandra was deported without her children and didn't see them for three years until she was allowed to return last spring. She and the kids, now 14 and 15, are sharing one bedroom in a relative's home, and she's suing the government for the trauma that the separation caused. She didn't want to use her last name for fear that talking to the press would harm her case. Sandra says it's hard in the U.S. because things are so expensive. She's trying to earn enough so they can move into their own apartment. And she tells her kids to focus on their studies so they can get good jobs and not suffer so much. Since the negotiations fell apart, people like Sandra will have to go back to court to argue their cases. And the Biden administration will have to defend Trump's family separation policy in front of a judge. If the government loses, it may end up paying families anyway. The Justice Department declined to say why negotiators walked away. But according to UC Berkeley political scientist Lisa Garcia-Bedoya, the upcoming midterm election may have played a role. What the White House in a midterm wants is they want the conversation to be one where they think that they can be portrayed in a positive light. But the ACLU's Gallant says it'd be wrong to assume that compensating families for family separation will hurt Democrats politically. You recall in 2018, not just Democrats and liberals, but conservatives and Republicans were outraged about Trump administration taking little babies away from their parents. So I think the Biden administration is wrong to think the politics will be against them for doing what's right here. 
And Gallant says, regardless of the politics, the administration needs to do the right thing. For The California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. And that's The California Report for Thursday, March 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks for listening. Nevada County isn't the only area in the state where environmental groups are pushing back against a gold mining proposal. Mojave Precious Metals is seeking to start exploratory drilling at Conglomerate Mesa, one mile from Death Valley National Park. California News Service has the details. Local environmental groups are voicing their concerns about a proposed mining exploration project about two miles west of California's Death Valley. The company, Mojave Precious Metals, wants to drill more than 100 holes to look for gold at Conglomerate Mesa and to revive some roads in what is now considered a roadless landscape. Kayla Brown, with the group Friends of the Inyo, says the area is important to migrating mule deer and is prime habitat for the Townsend's western big-eared bat and the Inyo rock daisy. This particular daisy is only found in the southern Inyo Mountains, and specifically Conglomerate Mesa and Cerro Gordo. The Bureau of Land Management will soon release an environmental analysis. The agency previously allowed helicopter-based drilling and now will decide whether to permit more of the same. On its website, Mojave Precious Metals says it would comply with regulations that require projects to avoid unnecessary and undue environmental degradation. Brown acknowledges the BLM has to take into consideration an 1872 mining law that allows prospecting on public lands and allows companies to stake claims. There are a lot of environmental groups that are trying to get that law changed because You know, in 1872, mining was very different than what it is today. They weren't industrial-scale, heavy machinery, large open pits like they are now. The lands are part of the traditional homeland of the Timbisha, Shoshone, and the Lone Pine, Paiute, Shoshone Native American tribes. In a statement, the tribes said they're disappointed in the way the prior drilling was carried out and vowed to oppose any future development. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. In regional news, the Sacramento Bee reports in today's edition that Governor Gavin Newsom wants to take more aggressive action to address the needs of Californians suffering from debilitating mental illness. Today, the governor unveiled a plan to overhaul the state's mental health system by creating a mental health-focused arm of civil courts in every California county, dubbed Care Court. Under the plan, which would need legislative approval, the state would require counties to provide comprehensive treatment to those suffering from psychosis and risk sanctions if they don't. Speaking at a news conference today, Newsom said rather than reforming the system in the margins, the state is offering a new approach. He said it would be the largest overhaul of the system since the 1960s, when then-Governor Ronald Reagan dismantled state mental health institutions. Newsom went on to say, There's no compassion stepping over people in the streets and sidewalks. We could hold hands, have a candlelight vigil, talk about the way the world should be, or we can take some damn responsibility to implement our ideals, and that's what we're doing differently here. As homelessness and mental illness have become more visible on California streets, some have called for the state to do more to compel people into treatment. 
Those calls have run into opposition from mental health advocates who worry about returning to an age of institutionalization when mentally ill Californians could be sentenced to a lifetime in a state mental hospital with little due process. Newsom said the current system, however, often results in incarceration for the mentally ill. He said the largest mental institution in the United States is the L.A. County Jail. Under the governor's plan, people who are suffering from psychosis, described as a condition with a loss of contact with reality, could appear before a superior court judge under three scenarios. They are suspected of a crime, an involuntary hold in a psychiatric emergency room is ending, or a family member believes they can't care for themselves. In those three scenarios, if ordered by a judge, a county would be required to create a care plan with input from the person and a county case manager. The plan would include clinical services such as visits with a psychiatrist, prescriptions for medication, and housing. The plan would be time-limited for 12 months and renewable for another 12 months, according to the governor's proposal. Newsom said the hope is to give mental health crisis teams, homeless outreach workers, and family members the capacity to save lives. He emphasized that this would not be about rounding people up and throwing them into jail without due process. Last year, Newsom and the legislature approved $12 billion in funding for homelessness and housing. This year, the governor is seeking another $2 billion focused on cleaning up street encampments and getting people into immediate housing. If the budget is approved, it will mean 33,000 new beds or placements for the homeless, Newsom said today. Hospitality House is putting out the word that local entrepreneur Lauren Maddox is offering a $7,500 match, which will double all donations to the shelter through March 8. The match is in celebration of International Women's Day, which is Tuesday. Lauren Maddox is the co-owner of a Grass Valley-based insurance business, The Event Helper. Donations can be made online at hhshelter.org or by mail at 1262 Sutton Way, Grass Valley. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Turning to regional weather, cloudy tonight with rain developing Friday and possible snow showers overnight Friday into Saturday. A winter weather advisory will be in effect from Friday night to Saturday afternoon in the northeastern Sierra foothills and the Motherlode. Expected snow accumulations for the period could be as much as a foot at the highest elevations, 4 to 8 inches above 4,000 feet, 1 to 4 inches above 2,500 feet, and less than an inch below 2,500 feet. On Sunday, mostly sunny and mild weather is expected to return. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, cloudy with a low of 49 Cloudy Friday, with rain developing later in the day, a high of 52 and a low of 34. In Truckee tonight, mostly cloudy with a low of 26. Friday in Truckee, cloudy with rain and snow, a high of 39 and a low of 16. In Sacramento this evening, cloudy with a low of 48. Friday in Sacramento, cloudy in the morning and partly cloudy in the afternoon with a slight chance of a rain shower, a high of 65 and a low of 38. In Sacramento this evening, cloudy with a low of 48. Friday in Sacramento, cloudy in the morning and partly cloudy in the afternoon with a slight chance of showers, a high of 65 and a low of 38.
Next, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to Mike Dent about the results so far of the point-in-time count. Mike, thanks for speaking to us. No problem. Glad I'm here, Claudio. Here at KVMR News, we try to put a spotlight on topics that are related to and affect the houseless community here in Nevada County. I know that we recently had a pit count. How's that going? Yeah, thank you, Claudio. It's called the point-in-time count because uh, we take a particular point in time. Uh, and in this case, this year, it was February 23rd. Normally, it's the third week of January, uh, but because of COVID, we thought best to push it back, along with many of the other COCs in our in our state, uh, Continuum of Cares moved their count date back a month just to let Omicron uh, breeze by us. So that that was the point in time that we counted. Uh, we were supposed to count and ask the question, where did you sleep on the night of February 23rd? And then from that point on, Claudio, there's 10 days for all of the community partners to enter um, the questionnaire. It's about 30 questions that we ask anybody who is homeless. So they're on the last, they're burning the midnight oil, putting putting the numbers into the database that we're using to compile. So to answer your question, it's going along pretty well. It's a big collaboration with many community partners in our community, the home team, Hospitality House, Sierra Roots, uh, the hospital uh, over in Eastern County, that there's a big collaboration between Placer and Nevada County to count all of the homeless people on the Eastern side of the Sierras. Uh, so we're getting close. North San Juan's another one where we're uh, the, our community partners are, whether they do use the app that they enter the data directly into the database or they're taking um, written questionnaires and uploading them into the system. I predict, Claudio, our numbers will be very similar to last year, um, but these numbers won't be finalized and uh, deduplicated because sometimes people are counted more than once by two different counters. Um, so it'll take a couple of months to sift through the data with our data um, contractor to deduplicate the numbers, verify if there's questions. Maybe sometimes there's partially uh, entered information that if they look into our homeless management information system, they'll find that person and be able to complete the count based on what we knew already about that person. You know, maybe they decided not to not to answer the, many of the questions. We may know that person already. We most likely do. Um, so it's going along. That's good to hear. Uh, one question I do have is, is how do you define a, a homeless person in the point in time? Do you count people, say, that are, that are couch surfing? Um, the, some, the answer is no. A brief answer is no, because Housing and Urban Development, HUD, who requires this pick count to be done every year, um, has certain de- definitions of what is homeless. So in essence, if you're living in a place that is not designed for human habitation, let's say a garage, a shed, a car, out in the open, in the, in the woods, then you're homeless. Um, then you, the, the second questions would be, how long have you been homeless? So to answer your question, you may, you may be between homes and you may be approached by an enumerator, which is a fancy word for someone counting um, and that enumerator may ask you, are you homeless? And you say, yeah, I am. Well, then the, the next question usually is, how long have you been homeless? Um, are, you are, and then they dive into, like I said, about 30 different questions, demographic information, uh, self-disclosure for substance or mental health issues. We do know we have a consistent pattern of about 70% of 
the homeless individuals have some substance abuse or mental health needs that are may or may not be going on as treated. That's the voice of Mr. Mike Dent. He's Nevada County's Director of Housing and Community Services. Mike, thanks so much for taking some time to talking with us here at KVMR News. Thanks, Claudia. I love what you guys do over there. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Here I am, trying to write in a restaurant again, to no avail. In the last 20 minutes, not a single idea has entered my head. This is usually a sign that the mind is worried, or tired, or cramping, or blank. The solution is to sink further into your body. So here's what my body knows. The smell of bacon is a good thing. The wooden tabletop under my forearm feels smooth and unshakable, with no sticky residue of jam or salsa. Three women's voices, one high, two lower, are mingling with the rumble of several tenors and baritones. Maybe I can't tell a bass. A little laughter, Simon and Garfunkel, sharp ha from the caustic waiter, a man whose clever play with language and unremitting good humor are what draw me back to this particular place. Muted light from a gray morning softens the plate glass windows. Hot air wafts up through a heater vent and brushes past my ankle bone on its way to the ceiling. Now that my body is located in space, my mind is noticing that one of our town's aging Lotharios has just sat down with a much younger, sweet-faced woman who might be a musician I can't remember. Over by the window, a guy whose sixth-grade kid I taught poetry is frowning at his New York Times. The thing about minds is that they're built to look for connection and pattern, to draw conclusions and establish a certain kind of order. My mind has already created a torrid affair between the musician and the Lothario, with the drama of their age differences factored in. It's speculating that the financial page of the New York Times is causing that frown. Probably this guy's Russian oil stocks are taking a beating, and he's figuring out how much of his son's college tuition just went down the drain. And the waiter is definitely in love with that new bus girl, either despite or because of the ring through her lower lip. I can't quite tell. You'll notice my thoughts trending toward the over-large, the dramatic, inventing not harmony but sexual disaster and financial ruin. This is why minds are so dangerous and why writing fiction is so much fun. But it's not really fair to the people involved, so let's change direction. Imagine our Lothario as a middle-aged innocent, cursed by a handsome face. He's giving his daughter advice about probable gas mileage on used cars. The frown aimed at the Times has to do with a lapse in the spelling of some obscure town in New Jersey. The kids' college fund is safe. My body relaxes a little and settles against the curved wooden slats of the chair. My mind casts its wide net elsewhere for the solace of pattern and order, finding it in stacked white plates, a mug filled with spoons, and six syrup bottles arrayed on a counter beside nine boxes of Thomas's English muffins. Everything is in its place. Nobody's reputation is in tatters here this morning. All is well. And, while you weren't looking, I did do some writing. 
Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, Money Matters with Mark Cuniberti. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Then KVMR returns to the eclectic music shows you love, Jazz Workshop at 8 with Keith West, followed at 10 by Road Dog Radio with DJ Llama Socks. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Green Acres Nursery and Supply, offering natural solutions for slugs, snails, mosquitoes, and pests. Also treatment for weeds and diseases. Greenacre staff can give advice based on photos or bagged samples. Information, idiggreenacres.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us tomorrow at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.